Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're talking about your 15 and 42 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about the James Wiseman Sadiq Bay trade from all angles. Why we understand the Pistons trading away Sadiq Bay, but why the acquisition of James Wiseman has us feeling unsettled about the future of the team, what Wiseman brings and doesn't bring to the Pistons, and more. And then we talk about Jalen Duren dropping 30, 17, and 4 on the Spurs' heads. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing this fine Super Bowl Sunday? Hey, Laz. Good to be back. Uh, doing well. Doing well. The dust has settled. The NBA looks different. Pistons still suck. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> So obviously the trade deadline was on Thursday. The Pistons made one move that has torn uh, the community asunder. They traded Sadiq Bay and Kevin Knox to various locales. Is basically out is Sadiq Bay and Kevin Knox in is James Wiseman. There's no picks or anything. Uh, there's picks involved in the other side of the trade. Uh, we are going to talk about this trade as if it is going to occur. Uh, we are recording this at 10:33 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. Um, I believe the deadline for whether or not the Warriors get to revoke their their part of the trade and that's like have the whole trade crumble um, is like midnight tonight. Um, but Gary Payton Jr. was like spotted next to Warriors executives at the game last night. Um, it seems more likely than not that uh, Portland will just give less draft capital than they initially did in return for Gary Payton, uh, Gary Payton II, and that will be, like, how the trade goes through. I still think the Warriors, like, want him. So, yeah, and, and Wiseman is with the Pistons, more or less, if I remember. And so we, we are pretending, we are operating on this podcast under the assumption that, like, this trade is going to go through as, uh, for the, from as far as the Pistons are concerned, like, as uh, properly, as uh, currently constructed. So, that's that. So, Ben... I wanted to break this down from a lot of different places. The first thing and the thing that I thought was most interesting is the Pistons kind of pulling the plug on the Sadiq Bay experiment. Um, you and I have gone back and forth about Sadiq on this podcast this season. Uh, we have felt weird about Sadiq for uh, the majority of his time here. We, we liked his rookie year and we were less sure about the rest of it. It seems like the Pistons uh, shared that trepidation. Yeah, bizarre interview with Troy Weaver in some ways. Um, I wasn't sure how to feel about that interview. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, um, it felt very post hoc to me, right? Um, what I mean by that is 
under the Troy Weaver sort of era includes Dwayne Casey, even though he he wasn't you know necessarily a, a Troy hire directly. There hasn't been a lot of drama, right? Haven't heard a lot of rumors and stuff slip out that you would um, you wouldn't want to get out if you were an executive, right? But at the same time, like Dwayne hasn't been hesitant to talk constructively about ways he's wanted his guys to improve, right? And this, I I was trying to think. I haven't, I could not recall a single time that this issue about, you know, Sadiq being ball dominant or not being willing to pass or not keeping the ball moving or whatever, however Troy phrased it exactly. I don't remember this ever coming up. So this this felt weird. The way Troy phrased it kind of left a, a bad taste in my mouth. I, I didn't really love hearing it. At this end of things, I wish there had been a different way for this to have worked itself out, I guess. That's how I would feel of it. Well, to to be fair, the the part in the story that we're talking about from James Edwards III of The Athletic after the trade, uh, I, uh, the quotes about you know the Pistons coaching staff in front office like not being in love with the way Sadiq was like holding the ball and not you know operating in the flow of the offense – that wasn't attributed to like any one person, right? True. Like, yep. Like, fair. Fair. So it's like we we don't know if that's Troy Weaver. We don't know if that's a coach. Which coach? We fair. don't know if that's a front office member. Um, you know, uh, in the public media availability, we did get uh, Troy Weaver said Sadiq was like family, and that like you know it sucked trading him, and they said all the all the nice things. So the the kicking him under the bus kind of came like, you know, anonymously. So we don't know who's who to attribute that to, but it did happen. Absolutely. And we, we should talk about it for sure. Fair. The, the other thing that felt a little bit weird to me was like, and you're right. Weaver said some things directly that were good, but like it felt a little weird that all of this would come out before the physicals were done. Since the Pistons were the team, responsible for vetoing the two most recent trades that were vetoed because of failed physicals. So I'll say that felt a little weird again, even though you're right to point out it's anonymous, but anyway, I'll just say that that part felt a little weird to me, but you know, having said that, I don't have a problem with the Pistons moving on Sadiq, even though it was a little surprising to me that they moved on from Sadiq generally. I mean, moving on from rookies while they're on the rookie contracts is weird. Although at least they moved into a different, rookie contract i guess if i'm going to try to spin this positively and this is the only attempt i'm going to try to spin this positively you're essentially taking like what four and a half million or thereabout of your cap space and putting it into james wiseman i guess that's the like you're taking a flyer on james wiseman with a small chunk of the cap space that you've accumulated for the next season right so and you're moving on from a guy who isn't isn't developing on the trajectory that maybe you you were hoping he would he would develop and that's that's the best way i think i think i i can spin it and so if there was trepidation about sadiq i i too have felt that so that that's the best way i can i think i can make it sound (laughs) no yeah sadiq um yeah i i didn't expect them to trade Sadiq. Sadiq's name wasn't trade rumors, but we didn't expect them to trade anyone, right? Uh, that was part of what our expectations were for this trade deadline. Um, so it makes sense, uh, but it did make sense that Sadiq's name was in the in those trade rumors and that he he would be traded. I thought Sadiq had more value around the league than evidently he did, um, but perhaps that was the the classic overestimation of our own players, right? Again. 
other teams can see that Sadiq has been inconsistent offensively and uh, bad to uh, less slightly less than average uh, defensively. And you can understand like why a guy like that might not have much value around the league. Um, So I have no problem with like trading Sadiq. I have no problem with, uh, you know, pulling the plug on a guy who's not developing along the arc you expected him to develop and not, you know, developing in the ways you expected him to develop. And, uh, you don't think can play the style or you don't, hasn't shown himself willing to play the style of basketball that you want to play. Like, okay, sure. Even if, you know, that means he's like uncoachable or something when that does not seem like a word you would use to describe Sadiq. It's like, okay, sure. Um, I can, I can still like understand why that might be a thing. So to flip it, now let's talk about James Wiseman. I don't understand why I I understand there. I understand their stated rationale for wanting to turn James wise or turn Sadiq Bay into James Wiseman. But man, Ben, charitably like Wiseman is a really big gamble for Troy Weaver in a way that I did not expect at this trade deadline. Um, Wiseman is unproven uh, defensively. He's apparently like made some strides this season, but prior to that he had been like one of the worst defensive centers statistically uh, in the NBA. That is not a good baseline to start with, even for as young and as inexperienced as he's been. Um, Wiseman, as you mentioned, cost the Pistons $4 million in cap space because he makes more than Sadiq. He is only getting more expensive as the number two overall pick. He like already, I think next year will make $12 million and he will be extension eligible along the same timeline Sadiq is. And so it, this is not like you're kicking the can down the road on a, a roster construction thing. This is, uh, they're going to have to figure out how much they want to pay James Wiseman very, very quickly. Um, the, this clogs up the roster. Now there are four bigs with very similar skill sets on the roster, and it kind of really ties them to playing with two bigs when everyone's healthy. I don't, I don't love that. It's just a lot of stuff is happening with, uh, with regards to like why James Wiseman perhaps has a lot of questions surrounding how he's going to be utilized with the Detroit Pistons, and so I'm. It's like, sure, trading Sadiq is fine, but Ben, like, trading for James Wiseman has really caused me to doubt uh, Troy Weaver. Yeah. Um, lots of reasons to be really skeptical about J- James Wiseman and the player, right? Um, so the Warriors are probably the team I've watched the most other than the Pistons in the past handful of years. Um First, first question mark about James Wiseman for me. Golden State Warriors play a very fluid, perimeter-oriented, four-out-one-in style of play, right? They start Looney, who is a, a very competent-at-what-he-does sort of big man, but also does, like, big man 101-level sort of responsibility stuff, right? So lots of space, lots of shooting, and the big man in the Golden State system is essentially on offense. Set some screens, find the appropriate time to roll to the basket, 
and dunk the basketball after you catch it, right? Offensive rebound when you have the opportunity to do so. And then on defense, their small switch, the big plays a lot of drop and, and covers up when somebody gets in into the perimeter. So it, it's really not rocket science sort of stuff that they're expecting from their big man. James Wiseman couldn't crack that rotation. He's young, but he couldn't crack that rotation. That's concerning to me. Um, and look, I'm not a Golden State Warriors expert, but I, like I said, I've watched a fair bit of them and, and he couldn't do what Kevin Looney does. And that's concerning to me, right? This is not just couldn't crack what Kevin, Kevin Looney does, but got sent to the G League because he couldn't do what Kevin Looney was doing. So that's alarming to me. Um, and, and then let, let's make sure that we're clear about the fact that we're talking about Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Draymond Green, level of three out perimeter play, Draymond Green as your sort of power forward facilitating point forward sort of play. The Pistons have none of that, right? Like even if we project the best possible outcome for Cade and Ivy and whoever else we hold on to this summer, no one is projecting that Cade is going to become Steph Curry next season, right? I mean, yeah, we're, yeah. Cade, Cade hasn't cracked 30% from three this season. Ivy, at best, is a streaky shooter. We're not talking about a team that is going to be fluid and shooting the lights out from deep and giving Wiseman all sorts of space to explore all of these offensive and physical tools that he has in Detroit. He is going to be coming into a situation that is going to be a downgrade in terms of the structure and system and space uh, for, for all of the tools that he was unable to bring to fruition in Golden State, right? It's a downgrade in terms of the system, right? So James Wiseman, the player I have concerns about, the scenario in which he's going to be expected to operate and improve is worse, right? So I, I think that's bad. A um, couple other things to throw out, just just because I find them interesting. Jalen Duran, twelve hundred and thirty-seven NBA minutes. James Wiseman, one thousand ninety-eight NBA minutes. That's bad. Um, <laughs> Jalen Duran better than James Wiseman uh, as a result. Already earned more minutes. Yes. <laughs> right. Fair. Um, Jalen Duran zero G League minutes. I don't even know how many James Wiseman has. Um, Jalen, or uh, excuse me, James Wiseman's injury history super concerning. Um, once bigs start to get injured, especially when they're young, um, that's always a concern. I will also say, in addition to the log jam, which I don't think you really spelled out, but let's just spill it out. And these are these are Laz's notes, by the way. Duran Stewart Bagley Wiseman. Throw Hami in there because he's played like a big all season. And I'm going to throw these in here because they're not actually players, but they're cap hits. Dwayne Dedman, DeAndre Jordan. All of those salaries are counting on the books right now. What on earth are you doing, Troy Weaver? Why do we have seven bigs on the books? And two of them are not players on the books. What are we doing here? Like... This is death by a thousand cuts. Like, and look, there are there are somewhat reasonable takes where you can sort of explain all of this away. But at some point, why do we have to continue to explain away all of these unnecessary self-inflicted wounds? Like, 
yes, the Pistons are still going to have a lot of cap space going into next summer, but why Why don't we have more? Why do we still have DeAndre Jordan and Dwayne Dedman on the books? This is silly. We have a pile of money paying for big man, big men and a pile of big men who all have the same deficiencies, right? And and so this is, this is the last sort of rant I'm going to make about the Pistons log jam of big men. What in the world is the defensive strategy here? Rest in peace, Pistons interior defense, right? You can find all of the disastrous numbers for Wiseman. You mentioned this last. Notoriously terrible defensively, even if, even if, you, you find that his improvements defensively this year are real. <sighs> defensively at the rim, he's terrible. If you look at the Golden State Warriors defense when he's on the floor, absolutely atrocious. And then add that to what the Pistons are doing currently defensively with their bigs. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be nice. I think at best what you can say about the Pistons bigs right now Isaiah Stewart is a competent team defender. I think that's the best you can say, right? He's not a rim protector, and he has deficiencies, but at best, he moves his feet competently, and he he doesn't miss a lot of assignments. I think that's, right? Like, fair He does his job. He does yeah. his job. Yeah. yeah. Jalen Duran has some good instincts around the rim, but I think that's probably the best you can say at this point in his career. He's got good instincts. He makes some good plays, but he makes a lot of mistakes, which he's young. He's got a lot of work to do to improve. What can you say about Marvin Bagley defensively? I don't think much. What can you say about Hami? I mean, he he's not really a big, but he's playing a bit. Throw James Wiseman into that mess, and I don't know what you are doing. And when you couple that with the weaknesses that Cade has defensively, with the weaknesses that Ivy has defensively, those guys are getting blown by bogey. You, yeah, you, bogey. You yeah, that's... Bogey is your starting small forward. What in the world are we doing here? They're the they're the worst defense in the NBA already, right? I mean, or I mean, it it goes back and forth between the worst teams in the NBA, maybe a little bit from time to time. They're they're going to be. I'm not even going to talk about offense yet. We'll do that later. They're going to be a disaster offensively. They're going to be worse defensively. And we're going to expect this team to push for the plan. It, it seems to me that, okay, you're gambling upside here, but you are betting the farm. <laughs> you're betting the farm on James Wiseman becoming something. You're, you've just made, you've made yourself, you've put yourself behind the eight ball for, I don't understand what. So yeah. yeah. anyway, that's my rant. I don't think this is a good trade. It, it's bad. I don't see... I don't see how Troy Weaver has done himself any favors here. He's put himself in a really bad situation, in my opinion. Yeah. And, like, you you talk about, like, betting the farm. And, like, yeah, okay, the acquisition cost is really low. Like, it costs you Sadiq Bay. Like, okay, sure. Sadiq is, like, Sadiq wasn't going to be part of this long-term plan. Like, James Wiseman might be. It's like, sure, that didn't that didn't cost you that much, right? Like, you didn't have to trade Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham, like, and Boyan to get James Wiseman. Like, yeah, I get that. But... If it's not going to work, like what you, you're just really putting yourself in a bad position, like you mentioned. Um, and I'll explain what I mean at the end of the pod by betting the farm. I'll yeah. explain. I'll okay. unpack it. I okay. I mean something when I say that. I I I understand what I think. I'm going to give you the space to explain it, but because I think I agree with you. But the other thing with Wiseman is like, okay, Joy Weaver, 
pre- in the press conference is like, we want to play. We want to play Detroit basketball, right? We want to start with defense. We need to play def- better defense to destroy or to like restore what the Pistons can be. It's like, okay, that makes sense. I agree with that. It's like, we want to play two bigs because uh, Philly plays big. Milwaukee has two bigs, right? Cleveland has two bigs. Both of those teams are in your division. Like we need two bigs. It's like, okay, sure. I understand that. Uh one of those bigs like should be good at defense, <laughs> right? Like that, that is, seems to be the purpose of playing two right. bigs is that you, you get some sort of defensive uh, boost from doing that. But, and yet you're, you're going to trade for what is statistically one of the worst defensive players in the, or worst, one of the worst defensive big men in the NBA. Uh, Wiseman also like we, we talked about the advantage of the Stuart Duran lineup being that both of those guys are good rebounders, right? For, for their position. Wiseman, classically, not a great rebounder for his position. Uh, does not have great hands. Uh, you can see him like flub passes in traffic. Um, does a little bit of the same thing as Duran, right? Where he won't uh, necessarily like put his body on people or like seek out contact and just wants to out athletic everyone uh, for the ball. But that doesn't always work at the NBA level. Um, so yeah, Wiseman, not an amazing rebounder, despite being, despite having all the tools, being seven feet and being able to move as fluidly and jump as high as he can, not a great rebounder. Uh, you lose something on that end. Um, Ben, like uh, Troy Weaver, this is just like another example of Troy Weaver, um, liking his like space i put in the notes like space cadets with tools right (laughs) like guys who just kind of get lost in the ether but have all the things and so you can see between you know josh jackson's like this hamadou diallo's kind of a little bit like this marvin bagley is definitely like this now and now james wiseman you you read the james edwards the third did a piece with anthony slater the beat writer for the warriors about like the strengths and weaknesses of james wiseman and Anthony Slater's, for lack of a better word, like scouting report on James Wiseman was like functionally identical to the way like I would classify Marvin Bagley. And so now you have two Marvin Bagleys when you can't play the one Marvin Bagley you have because he's so poor defensively. It just it just makes it makes so little sense. And like, yes, there is upside. Yes, I did not. That is a good point. James Wiseman in four, three, three NBA seasons has played fewer NBA minutes than 19 year old Jalen Duran. Like, yes, there is something to be said about getting James Wiseman the opportunities that he was not afforded in Golden State because Golden State was trying to win games and the Pistons aren't necessarily trying to win games right now. But like you mentioned, and like Troy Weaver has said multiple times, they want to start winning games soon, really soon. And so I was like, do you have time? And if you think you're going to turn James Wiseman around in 25 games in an offseason, like, sure, that's one thing. But, like, if you think, as I do, that this is going to be a multi-year process, then you, you have put yourself behind your own stated deadline. For what? Right. For what? For right. For a guy that... And this is the thing, right? For a guy that you identified and honed in on when in 2020 when he was drafted as the top available player 
and nothing it seems that has happened in the interim has shaken Troy Weaver or gone to like disabuse Troy Weaver of that notion that James Wiseman is the best player from that draft class or has the potential to be the best player from that draft class. To me, that lack of mental agility, that being that stubborn in your own evaluation is not a great sign from a general manager, right? You, you want someone who's able to like input new information. You want someone who's able to, um, you know, look at the track record and the history and see that like, maybe, you know, this hasn't worked out the way I, I, they thought it would. And Troy Weaver just still like says like, no, like we really love James Wiseman's talent. He needs more of an opportunity. Like we're going to give him that opportunity, you know, damn what that opportunity for him is going to get us. It's like that, that, that's the part, that's the part that just like really irks me about this trade. It's like, sure. Like, you know, I had Killian Hayes number one on my big board in 2020. Like, does that mean like I would trade for Killian Hayes like right now? Like, no, no. It's like I had, uh, I was like, I don't know. It's just, it's like you, you can't be, you can't be uh, so attached to your previous thought processes that you, you know, you're burning assets, you're, you're burning cap space, right. And at a time and you're, you're burning time at a time where you're running out of time to accomplish your, your stated goals. So yeah, suffice to say, we are not fans of the James Wiseman acquisition. It's like, all right, this is, this is the, the caveat part, Ben. It's like, we hope it works, right? We are not rooting against James Wiseman. We are not rooting for James Wiseman to fail, right? Like we don't think it's going to work, but I hope that James Wiseman becomes the Kevin Garnett, Chris Bosh hybrid that he was advertised as being coming out of high school. I hope that happens. I hope he lives up to the potential of being the number two pick overall and that the Pistons, you know, have what, like the number one overall pick, the number five overall pick, like, uh, you know, whatever pick they get this year's draft, the number two overall pick and like Jalen Duran in the starting lineup. And like all those players work out amazingly. Like, I, I hope this works. It's just really, really, really difficult for me to envision a world in which it does. And so like, there, there's that, there's that. The, Okay. As as I'm now, now I'm just like scrolling through the notes. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention was in Troy Weaver's uh, press availability um, that we got to saw because I don't think the the full thing was published, but they published like some of it in uh, in the pregame for the uh, for the San Antonio game, and it was interesting to me the level of uh, defiance like written on his face as he was answering questions about this move. It was. Uh, he was very visibly annoyed that like at the fan reaction at the the beat writer reaction that like this maybe perhaps wasn't going to work. You you could he was saying his mouth was saying the correct things, but you could see that he was like pretty clearly like no, I'm right on this guy. Like this is this is going to work. This is going to work the way we want it to. And I I thought that was interesting. I thought that was the, that's the first time I've seen Troy Weaver visibly annoyed. I'm sure he's been visibly annoyed before, but this is the first time we're seeing it in public. Um, and it's also like, again, like uh, I can only imagine the pressure that he is under if uh, this move does or doesn't work. And so, Ben, I, I thought that was interesting as well, right? Like Troy Weaver 
the the defiant the defiant one after this trade yeah i mean he's had less pre- like less public pressure than i can recall i mean you know think about when things went sour with joe dumars the fan reaction to all of the losing um you know stan van gundy for all of the all of the frustration that accompanied the bad times with Stan Van Gundy. I mean, you look at the win-loss record, you look at the fact that those teams did make the playoffs a little bit. Like, they won a whole lot more games than Troy Weaver has won, right? And they had different tasks, fair. I mean, Troy Weaver's task was to tear down and rebuild. But um, I have to think some of the patience... I mean, my patience is starting to wear, not because of the losing, but maybe there's just some patience that's starting to wear thin and he's starting to starting to feel a little bit of that. No, I, I can, I can definitely see some of that. Uh, last but not least about this trade salute to you, Kevin Knox. Thank you for your service. Uh, <laughs> I will always remember that West coast road trip where you contributed to two back-to-back wins against playoff teams. Thank you for your service, Kevin Knox. Uh, other thing about this trade, this trade leaves uh, this trade leaves them with kind of a hole at small forward. Uh, like I, I just jokingly like saluted Kevin Knox, but like you know he could kind of play on the wing. Uh, but by shipping out Knox and Bay, it's like they kind of don't have a lot of guys who can play small forward right now. Uh, Livers is still here, and they it really does seem like they expect a lot and want a lot from Isaiah Livers in the not-too-distant future. We'll see how that goes. Um, Boyan Bogdanovich is obviously still going to play the small forward role. But yeah, man, they uh, they kind of don't have any more wings, which seems like a bad place to be in the NBA in 2023. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, I wasn't even going to go on this rant. But, like, I don't know what, what Isaiah Livers is Troy Weaver's watching. Like... He, he talked up Troy so much, like, or he talked up Livers so much. Like, I, I liked what I saw from Isaiah Livers as a rookie, but, like, I didn't see anything more than fourth or fifth option at best in a starting lineup. Like, yes, like, three and D-ish sort of guy who is sort of, like, in between positions, but plays good defense, plays smart. Yes, useful player. And, and, you know, Troy's talking about how, you know, he's exactly the kind of player we want to have. He's doing all the kind of things. I'm like, he, what has he done this season? Like, I mean, yes, he's been hurt a lot. But, like, when he's been playing, like, I, I have not seen this stuff. I mean, he's been okay. He's been fine. But most of the time when he plays, I just have not seen any sort of impact from him. So, I don't know. It's a lot of pressure to be putting on a kid who just has not done done much so i i mean hopefully livers has a dynamite 40 percent of the rest of the season because it's it's been hasn't been there so far so livers played in crunch time double overtime both overtimes against san antonio right it does seem like the mandate is like see what this guy has got yeah because like we're we're gonna figure out if he's got it or not and I, we liked Livers coming into this season, but he has felt invisible on offense in a way that 
is uh, not conducive to being an elite level role player, right? Like if you're an elite level role player, I need to feel you somewhere. And he has felt invisible on offense a lot. Maybe charitably, maybe some of that was playing alongside a guy like Sadiq who stopped the ball a lot. Maybe uh, some of that was like the fact that the ball wasn't moving and flowing and he didn't really get a chance to get a lot of catch and shoot threes because the, the ball movement was worse. It's like, okay, sure. Maybe that's the case. Um, yeah, but at the same time, it, it, he he still doesn't have the skill set to go and you know aggressively make his case offensively. And so, if he's just entirely like a dependent role player, it's like you you still can't play that guy on the bench because the talent level is so low. The talent level is lower than it is with the starting lineup, um, and so it, it's just it's just a, a weird spot with Isaiah Livers. Um, I I like I I hold out hope for for Livers. We we really like the way he played in his rookie season. Maybe he's still catching up from injury. Uh, maybe he's still catching up from role. But yeah, this is, is to talk up Livers like he was going to be like the missing piece for the team. I also thought was like just a little bit weird from Troy Weaver, and so we're throwing that on the pile of other like weird stuff Troy Weaver has said and done uh, during his tenure as the Detroit Pistons GM. Uh, also, Ben, uh, Nerlens Noel, still here. Uh, <laughs> couldn't get a second, couldn't find a home for Nerlens Noel that wasn't Detroit. Uh, Nerlens is now apparently not with the team on the injury report for San Antonio. He was listed as like not with team. So uh, maybe they're working on a buyout. Maybe perhaps. might as well throw some more dead money on the cap sheet. Yeah, why not? So for that, at least, like I got confirmation from Keith Smith on Twitter that because of the team option on the final year next year of his deal, the team option is automatically presumed declined if the player is waived. And so, like, it's not like another 10 million it's just yeah, like the just, rest of this year's 10 million i'm just being sarcastic yeah i mean i, I wanted to clarify that but like you're right it's like it's like okay it's, i mean it's, it's more of tom gore's money but like sure like it's like why like now and now you know you trade for another center and now nerlens is here and like now he really just doesn't need to be here is weird is weird it was like okay sure you couldn't find a 2029 second round pick for Nerlens Noel like that just seems weird. Like, you you could have done something with that. And we know there were teams that called about Nerlens. I had a I know at least of one team that like called about Nerlens and that's like me my me with like you know my like two sources that I talk to occasionally. And so like if I'm hearing that like Nerlens is available in teams of call like <laughs> you can bet like people were asking. So so yeah, that's there's that. All right. Yeah, Ben. The uh so to move to move on a little bit, but not really. Uh, yeah, we're, we're complaining a lot this podcast episode. I hope you guys strapped in. Um, your question last week about how this team gets to the 28, you know, 24, 25, 26 win point of the season at this point next year has been something that's just like stuck in my craw. And I don't like the answers that like keep coming to mind in the short term, right? It's like, yes, the Pistons have a good deal of cap space this offseason, but like as we've discussed, we don't love the free agency options available to them. Um, the other thing that's kind of stuck in my craw is that between the devotion to two bigs and the lack of shooting that 
we can see up and down the roster. It's like, I know Cade hasn't played this season that much, but this really no longer feels like a roster that is well suited to Cade Cunningham's talents, right, Ben? Like, you would want to surround Cade with spacing and shooting and team defense. And right now they have a bunch of athletes who are still learning how to play team defense, perhaps, but who we don't expect to be great shooters. And so this this does not seem like the ideal situation for a Cade Cunningham contender at this point. Yeah, I jumped in the comments, um, DVB, this week because this I, I found this trade so infuriating from a roster construction standpoint, right? And I'm, I'm thinking about this. Defense, I, I don't even know how to talk about because I don't even know how you salvage the defense without an overhaul of the roster. But yeah, get better players. <laughs> right. Salvage the defense. But like the offense, who in the world is going to shoot the basketball, right? Cade hasn't been a good shooter. He could improve. I mean, his three-point shooting has not been good. I think it was 30-something percent and then 29-something percent this season. But I think you got you to write off most of the season as an incomplete, right? He was injured and he only played 11 or 12 games or something. Ivy's been streaky. He's probably not going to ever be a dynamite shooter. But you ideally, you're using both of those guys in the pick and roll, right? I think realistically, if you're scheming against them, you're going to play drop, right? Why would you go over either of those guys? So if you're thinking about how to attack that, you're getting vertical lob threats from a roster construction perspective in Ivy and Wiseman, or excuse me, in Duran and Wiseman. But defensively, teams are scheming against you to drop. So they're trying to take that weapon away in neither of your guards without dramatic improvements in one offseason are going to be able to counter it, right? Because they're just going to drop. And neither of them have demonstrated the ability to shoot 35% or better, which is what you need to be able to do consistently to counter drop coverage. Just statistically, just run the numbers. Okay. Then you've got Bogey, who is your only good shooter in a five, any five-man lineup you can construct with the current roster, you just never leave him. You just never leave bogey. You just always are in arm length of bogey. That's just what you do. Then, who, who in the world are you going to play at power forward? Stewart, Bagley, I mean, whoever. Stu is something like 13%. Wiseman question? Right. Nobody in that position can shoot and from anywhere. And even Stu in the last 10 games is like 13 or 14% from three. I mean, I want him to keep shooting and keep improving or what? He's not a weapon right now. And then your five, like I said, is your lob threat, but you just, you just play drop. You just don't, you just stay in front of them. You don't let them come. It is one of the easiest five man units to cover that I can imagine covering. There's no scheme you can come up with that is not one of the easiest lineups in the NBA to cover. Throw in a top five draft pick, fine. Most rookies aren't good in their first year. Even your top one or two draft picks, they're just us- they're just usually not that good. Even the good rookies are like mediocre NBA players, right? Even the best rookies just aren't that good. So I'm and, and anybody they're gonna get in free agency is they're gonna have to pay a premium for. And the free agents aren't that good. You threw all the names out there a week or two ago, and it's like, who? Who's that guy? What is he good at? Like, oh, yeah, okay, that's who that is. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, what does he do? So you kind of have to hope for 
maybe you can facilitate a larger trade and come away with a lopsided trade that benefits you in some way, but you can't really predict those. Like you just have to hope that you get lucky somehow. So how do you get to 28 wins? Like you, you have to get lucky. Like you, you have to get lucky. Troy has given himself a really, and this, this is my problem. I don't mind. I don't have a problem with a four year rebuild. I don't, but that does not appear to be what the franchise has tasked itself to do. And Troy has given himself this, this imbalanced roster that you're right does not suit itself well to Cade's game. And I don't know whose, whose game does it suit itself well to like, I don't know. I don't, it's not going to be good at anything. It's not going to be good at any single thing. It's not going to be good offensively. It's going to be extremely easy to cover defensively. It's going to be extremely poor and it's very, very hard last to imagine the acquisition or series of acquisitions that makes it better in 12 months from now. It's very, very hard for me to imagine 12 months from how, how the team is meaningfully better. And I would not have a problem with that if, the franchise we're saying we're on a five-year timeline here and our goal is by the time you know Cade and Ivy are 24 and 25 years old this is where we want to peak no they're saying next year got next year stay with us we're going to be we're, we're pushing for the plan Troy's given himself either Troy's given himself this task or the ownership has given him this task and I just feel like this trade deadline, the, what they've done and what they haven't done has is, is made it really hard to accomplish that goal. No, absolutely. Um, like You're asking about offensive like scheme and coverage. It's like the thing that I can see helps is that, you know, Jaden Ivey, honestly, Jaden Ivey is so good in isolation as a guy who can just get downhill that it makes the defense collapse and perhaps like you cause rotations from there and good things happen. But you're right. Like, why would you ever go over on a Jaden Ivey screen? Like, why would you ever go over on a Cade Cunningham screen? It's like, there's there's very little reason to. Um, and so it's like, okay, maybe you, you're you trying to build a team of, like, elite mid-range jump shooters. Like that. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so, like, Phoenix. Phoenix is doing right. that, right? Like, yeah. between Booker and CB3 and Kevin Durant, right? Like, you are building a team that is designed to beat job coverage by just shooting an insane percent on open 16-footers. Like, okay. It's like, do you have Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and Kevin Durant? No. No, you don't. So maybe maybe that's, the, the again, that's a talent thing. It's like that perhaps, like, that is not going to work. Um, when you asked who this team is, like, built for, honestly, Ben, my first reaction, this team is built for the big men, right? This team is <laughs> built. Weird. It's built from the It's built from the inside out. It's like, hey, Jalen Duran is like, we're going to showcase you um, and what you're capable of at offensively. We're going to give you – like you have guards who can deliver you the ball and you can uh, – and like we can show what you can do. Like James Wiseman, it's like we're going to give you all the pick and roll reps you can handle because that was the thing that was holding back your development in Golden State is that they weren't running enough pick and roll and that's the thing we know you can do. So we're going to run pick and roll with you and you're going to figure out how to score out of the pick and roll and that's what we're going to do. Marvin Bagley, the one thing you can do at, a, at an NBA level is score out of the pick and roll and like out of offensive rebounds. And so like we're going to it's like we're going to let you do that. We're going to put the lineups around you to do that. So it's like this team is built to showcase the bigs, but it just so happens that like all your talent is in 
Cade and Jaden Ivey in the backcourt. And so, yeah, this from a roster construction standpoint, this team is just really weird. And this isn't even this isn't even mentioning like, okay, the Pistons get the number one overall pick, right? Like, hooray, yes, we're super excited. The Pistons get an insane talent, a guy that we think is gonna help. What position does he play? He's also a big. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And so now we're just throwing him in the pile with the other highly drafted, highly decorated big men. So strange. It's, it's just, it's very weird. This is the, this is non-traditional. This is the opposite of the way that we imagine an NBA team would be built in the year 2023. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like in the 80s, this team would be amazing. Right. <laughs> Just like Free Ralph, three point line, Ralph Sampson and Hakeem Olajuwon <laughs> down low, right? Like you're just killing them, but like it's it's not that it's not that. Uh, so yeah, I, I also I also agree that this team does not make a lot of sense from a roster construction standpoint, and I am officially worried about the moves Troy Weaver is going to feel like he has to make in order to put them back on the timeline, right? Like, I am worried about paying Jeremy Grant $30 million. Oh, I am worried about paying Harrison Barnes $30 million. Oh, no, Lad, I'm wor- why would you say that? Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about, you know, being like, oh, hey, Dylan Brooks is one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA. We're going to pay that guy $25 million a year to come in and shoot, like, you know, a 50% true shooting percentage, but he plays defense and fixes, like, our biggest lineup weakness. It's like, sure, sure. It, it's like maybe and maybe you know this team probably will be better next year right Cade will be back but the the level of better is an open question and it's going to be tough if you look up and it's year five and this team is one maxed out at like 28 games and the Cade's extension is right around the corner and you've had to pay Isaiah Stewart and Killian Hayes or, you know, mark them as guys that you don't believe in long-term and replace them. It's just a lot. It's just a lot to, to think about for the future of this team, Ben. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. The Pistons played basketball this week too. They did. By the way, that happened. Uh, a, a loss to Boston that was maybe closer than it looked, but also maybe not. They they fought back and then got kind of dumpstered when Jason Tatum came back in the game. A pretty bad loss to Cleveland that was uh, marked by just an awful stretch to start the fourth quarter. There's neither here nor there. And the win. We, we said they needed to win that game against San Antonio, Ben, and San Antonio tried their hardest to throw that game away, and they <laughs> gave it to us, and we'll take it. Um, but the thing I wanted to point out from that game is Jalen Dern. Career night, 30 points, 17 rebounds, four blocks. He's far outstripping what I thought he was going to be capable of this season, Ben. Like, if you had asked me, would Jalen Duren have a 30-point, 15-rebound game this year? I'd been like, yeah, in the G League. Like, yeah, you can totally do that. <laughs> but to do it against – and, like, you know, maybe San Antonio is another G League team. Right. Like, we, we, are, we are currently a G League team. San Antonio is currently a G League team. It's like maybe that's why he was able to put up those numbers. But, but he did. He did it in an NBA game. He joined, like – LeBron and like Wilt as like some teenagers to put up those kind of numbers is ridiculous to think about. Ben Jalen Dern has been so much better than I thought he would be this season. This just makes the James Wiseman thing even more confusing because Jalen Dern's good. Right, he's the good version of James <laughs> Wiseman. Why are we adding more? Yeah, <sighs> talk yeah. about how good Jalen Dern is, Ben. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, 
So the 30 points obviously feels a little inflated because it was against San Antonio. But, I mean, he was playing against another good big man. So, I mean, San Antonio is terrible, but at least he was playing against another at least respectable big. So, And he literally played himself off the floor because he was so gassed. I mean, Casey's post-gate comments, like he could barely walk. He had exhausted himself and played so hard. So all of that is very encouraging. And look, I'm still I'm still driving the bandwagon when Sean wrote, the only thing that matters is, is Jaden Ivey's development. You know, I said, if that's 1A, then I, I think Duran is 1B. I'm still on the bandwagon. I, I think that... Duran's development is is the X factor. I think who he becomes is going to matter a lot. Um, you know who he's going to be offensively. I don't know. I think that's still undefined. We don't know what his skill set is. Other than I think his passing instincts are good, even if he doesn't always deliver the right pass in the right way. He sees the floor in an interesting way from the high post in particular. He sees backdoor cuts. That's great. Um, he dunks a lot. That's all we really know offensively. And that's fine. That's fine. That's okay. He's 19. But he competes at an NBA level as the youngest player in the league against other legit NBA big men. That's extraordinary. Um, and, and so here's my hope for, for Jalen Duran. When the Pistons parted ways with Andre Drummond, I argued that the Pistons failed him, right? They failed through poor player development. They put Andre on a terrible trajectory. They tried to make him into... Um, Dwight Howard, that was a failure. They didn't put a good roster together around him for years. They they trotted out G League point guard after G League point guard after Steve Blake and Jose Calderon's corpse, right? They, they failed Drummond. Look, it was mutual. Drummond failed the Pistons too, but that was the last time the Pistons had a big who could have been anything. Jalen Duran <laughs> fell into the Pistons' lap and kudos to Troy Weaver for recognizing this and cashing in. They owe Duran and they owe the fan base much, much more than uh, than they delivered for Andre Drummond and the fan base when they had the opportunity before. So uh, get this right, Pistons. Jalen Duran can be special in a different way than the Pistons' guards are special. He doesn't need to go score 30 every night, uh, but he's a double-double machine. He's got great instincts around the rim. Turn him into a capable... Tyson Chandler, this was my thing. Don't turn Andre Drummond into Dwight Howard. Turn him into Tyson Chandler. Like, put him in that sort of trajectory. Pick and roll lobs and dunks. Defend the rim and, and, and just be a beast. That put, put him with a Dirk Nowitzki kind of big and you win championships, right? Dwight Howard doesn't, doesn't win championships anymore in today's NBA. So Jalen Turn could be that kind of player. Maybe. Maybe, but at least at least give him a shot, right? Put him on that de- development trajectory, and and I think uh, I think he could be pretty good. No, I I agree. I agree. I love the passing flashes from Duran. Um, Stewart has actually started to flash a little bit better ability as a passer over the last couple of games. He had a nice high low with Hami, um, and that high low is about to be a staple action of the Pistons right. because again, like <laughs> we're going to see some James Wiseman, Jalen Duran front court minutes. And like, you bet you better get that high low going. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just super enamored with what the Pistons have in Jalen Duran. My hope was that Duran was so good that he like, uh, you know, Ben, when like it's snack time and uh, you hand the kid like a banana and they like, don't want a banana. They want some candy and you're tired and you're like, you know what? Fine. Here's some M&Ms. 
It's like I thought Jalen Duran was Troy Weaver's M and M's, and like it turns out, like no, he wants some more M and M's. He wants yep. James Wiseman too. Because <laughs> so I was like, all right, man. And I was like, sure, let's get some Reese's pieces. Like whatever, I don't care. But but I do care because this is the future of my franchise. Right. You don't yeah. need two of these guys. It's like snack time's over, man. You yeah. got your snacks. It's bedtime. Yeah. But yeah. And I realize, like you know, infantilizing Troy Weaver like that can come off as insulting. That's not my that's not my intention. But I hope you understand the illustration of my point. Um, yeah, Jalen Duran's really good. I, I like I, Jalen Duran deserves better than what the Pistons offered Andre Drummond. Absolutely, I think at the at the minimum, like Andre Drummond never had a Cade Cunningham to deliver him the ball. So that that makes me optimistic about that pairing at least. But uh, but yeah, the. I don't know if maximizing Jalen Duran's development is putting him next to another seven foot big man who does a lot of the same things that he does. And that's why I've been intrigued by the Stewart pairing because Stewart doesn't do a lot of the stuff that Duran does. He has been shooting really poorly, but the shot looked good at one point and could look good again. Again, I think Stewart needs to find a rhythm uh, offensively, but yeah, like, Having a guy, having two guys who do what Jalen Duran does on the floor doesn't seem conducive to to winning basketball. But I'm gonna try not to complain about James Wiseman anymore. Uh, all right, Ben, it's it's time. What's what's been on your mind? What else has been on your mind? We've we've kind of traded rants this podcast, but is there anything else that's been kind of on your mind this week as we uh, think about our Pistons? Yeah, I I, I kind of got most of it out, but I'll I'll put it this way as we close. Um. You know, I've been hesitant to to criticize Troy Weaver too much, mostly because I felt it's been premature, right? His season one task was to to tear down the previous foundation, right? And I think if you look at individual move at a time, he lost some of those deals. Bruce Brown, Luke Kennard come to mind. Um, and he's not even two years into building up what he wants to set the new foundation to be. And I said this a minute ago, the task that he has either inherited from ownership or has set for himself has been to be competing for the plan a year from now. Right. Um, I didn't really have a whole lot of confidence. They were going to be very good this season, even though they said they wanted to be competitive. That's the word we keep hearing without a clear definition next season though, that, that word competitive seems to have some definition to it, right. Which seems to be competing for the play in. Um, and I think here's what's on my mind. By the end of next summer, I think for me at least, Troy Troy Weaver's grace period is kind of going to be over, and it, it's it's going to be time to say, all right, Troy, this this is the deadline you've either set for yourself or you've inherited from from ownership. And uh, after <laughs> this Wiseman trade, I'm I'm gonna put my cards on the table. I am just super skeptical right now. Um, I've been skeptical of individual moves, but at least willing to listen to and be patient about the overall vision. That that's been my read on Troy Weaver so far. But I will say this this trade for for Wiseman right now has has shaken my my confidence in the overall vision. Right, Th- this one individual I don't believe in it, um, and I. I will, I'm going to say it this way. I'm not optimistic that Troy Weaver gets the job done in the next 12 months. I, I don't think the Pistons, in spite of the cap space and in spite of the draft pick they're likely to get, unless they get Wemby, which I think Wemby could, Wemby could flip the script. But barring that 
13 or 14% chance of that happening, whatever it is, right in the top three, I forget exactly what the numbers are. I'm pretty skeptical. I'm not optimistic uh, that Troy Weaver gets it done. And ah, that's what's on my mind. I, I, I don't like where we are, Laz. I don't like the resources we have available. And I'm, I'm just, I'm super disappointed. I, again, if the messaging were different, if the goals were different, if the franchise were saying, this is, a, this is our five-year plan, Troy Weaver has five years to get us where we want to be, I, I could bite my tongue and say, all right, I don't like this Wiseman deal, but okay, it's a, it's a gamble on the upside, but that's not what we're saying. And I don't think it's just PR spin. Like, I, I think it's a real, it's a real thing. And uh, I, I don't love it. And, and I'm, I'm not happy. I'm, I'm yeah. bummed. I'm disappointed as a fan. Yeah. Yeah. So two things. I can hear people being like, really? Like trading Sadiq Bey for James Wiseman is the thing that makes you like not believe in Troy Weaver anymore? Like who is James Wiseman? Who cares? <laughs> it's not It's not James Wiseman. It's what James Wiseman represents yeah. as Troy Weaver's vision for what the team should look like. That's concerning yeah. for us. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So it's like James Wiseman, like, and again, like we hope James Wiseman works, but the the devotion to playing two bigs and the building the team from the inside out as opposed to the outside in is just like it, that doesn't fill us with confidence about the long term about what Troy Weaver like wants to do for for this team. The other thing I will say is that I think that Troy Weaver. Like Trover did have the contract extension. I think he will get to see his vision through. I don't know if he'll get fired in the next 12 months. It is it is worth mentioning that, you know, you look at some of the other rebuilds happening around the uh around the NBA. Houston got to uh, you know, trade James Harden and get those picks, get those players, kick off the rebuild that way. Orlando got to trade Nikola Vucevic mm-hmm. for two first round picks mm-hmm. that they have turned into really, really good players to mm-hmm. be fair. It's like that. That is the thing, right? Like they've turned the Vooch pick into Wendell Carter Jr. Who's really good for them. And Franz Wagner, who's been really good for them. Like getting it's like, sure. Like Vooch, wasn't like the best asset, but what they turned him into has been really, really good for them. And they got Paolo. Like that was lucky. Um, OKC, OKC traded Paul George and Russell Westbrook. And they they have a mountain of picks. They turn Paul George into Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's an all star level player. And so now they have like an all star level player, a mountain of picks, and a bunch of young, interesting talent. Right, and they they are in a better position than the Pistons are in right now. Pistons didn't really have that, right? True. Like, yep, they true. traded Andre Drummond for peanuts, and peanuts is what Andre Drummond was worth at the time. Mm-hmm. They had to eat seasons worth of Blake Griffin's contract. Um, you you couldn't trade Blake Griffin for a draft haul. You had to let Blake Griffin go and have him sit on your on your cap. And so like they they started from not a position of like let's you know let, let let's leverage all these picks into something or like we have a treasure trove of picks to sit on. It's like they they started from you know beneath water level. And uh, Troy Weaver talked about at the beginning of this season like they were finally hitting ground zero right like. Blake's money's off the books. Uh, only one future first round pick is out the door. Um, they still, you know, managed to get their cap is in a cap space is in a good spot uh, for now and in the future. And uh, like they felt good about their team from a baseline level. It's like okay. It was like well now it's like if you want that water level to rise, um, 
like you are going to have to do it fairly quickly. And so I, I, I think that is worth mentioning uh, as well. All right, Ben, the Pistons do play later today. They play Toronto at 3 p.m. today. Toronto, another team that we, <laughs> we thought Toronto would be very different and they look uh, Pretty basically the same. The same. Yep. So I was like, oh, that'll be an interesting game. They play Boston again on Wednesday. Boo. Don't want to see Boston anymore. They're going to murder us. They play Orlando Thursday on the back-to-back. That is a road back-to-back. So at Boston, at Orlando. Um, that'll be a really interesting game. Um, uh, obviously, like the Pistons have beaten Orlando already this season, but that was with Cade. Um, Paolo has been really effective for them this season. Orlando has looked really spry over the last like, 15, 20 games. Um, it's interesting to see those uh, rebuilds heading up against each other. And then the Pistons play the Raptors again on Saturday. Ben, this is this is looking like a tough week. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the chemistry and the vibes are just so far off in Toronto that they managed to squeak out <laughs> one of those games. But this is looking like a rough week, wins and loss wise, for the for our Pistons. Yeah, I mean that it, it ugh, they're all going to look rough when you're on the bottom looking up, and you you have a roster like this. I mean, look. <sighs> As much as I don't like this trade, I'm an- I am anxious to see what James Wiseman looks like in a Piston uniform. So that's what I care about this week. I don't care about the wins and losses. I mean, James Wiseman hasn't played a lot. I'm sure everybody in the NBA is curious to see what James Wiseman looks like in pretty much guaranteed extended minutes, whether that's in the starting lineup, whether that's off the bench. He's going to play. So let's see what he can do. Uh, all right, Ben. Last but not least about James Wiseman. Yeah. His selection of Jaleel Okafor's number has to oh, feel gosh. you. Dread <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't say that. Okay, so my seriously, last my first. Okay, my first two thoughts about James Wiseman were did not play coach's decision. My second thought was Jaleel Okafor without the instant offense. Like those were my first two thoughts about James Wiseman. Uh, I hate it. I hate that I thought that, but that's what I thought. I, yeah, I was, uh, and so I've been talking to Bryce Simon about James Wiseman. He seems more bullish on this than we are, which is a, which is a good thing. Bryce is a really smart guy. Yep. But like, yeah, when, when I, when I opened that Instagram and I saw the post from the Pistons, I was like, welcome James Wiseman. And he's Photoshopped (laughs) in the Jaleel Okafor's jersey. I was like, oh no. That's brutal. Oh no. We, Get that man a different number, yeah, right? Get that man, brutal. get that man a different number. All right, Ben. Uh, this is this is this is a bit. Ba- I told you this is going to be a banger of a podcast. I told yeah, you we had a banger a week one. ahead of us. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find more of your thoughts about the burgeoning uh, James Wiseman, Jalen Duran experiment in Detroit. Well, let's hope this trade goes through, and we didn't just waste everybody's time last. But uh, I, th- I think it did. <laughs> Pretty good chance. Abby Argolker on Twitter. Something interesting, right? I mean, at least we have something interesting to watch the rest of the season. And uh, definitely in the in the comments at DetroitBadBoys.com. And, of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at LazChance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. If they make me pay for TweetDeck, I'm going to be very, very sad. I might end up paying for TweetDeck. It's neither here nor there. Thank you all for listening to us uh, complain about James Wiseman for the last hour. We appreciate it. We appreciate your support of the podcast. Um, This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you all uh, next week. See you.